Good morning. Merry Christmas to you. So glad that we get to be here together today. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Eric. I'm the pastor here at Redeemer, and I'm, I'm grateful uh, that Christmas is on a Sunday this year and that we get to come and celebrate not just the King of Israel, but the King of Kings, the King of the world, the King of our hearts, Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, I'm encouraged that we get to do that together this morning. Uh, just a couple quick announcements, and then we'll, we'll jump in, we'll dig in. Um, I need to get here. Okay. Uh, just, just a couple things real quick. The, the care cards are out if you want to pass those back in your rows and, and fill those out. Uh, still, we want to keep praying for you. We don't take a break from praying, even though it's Christmas break, right? And uh, because we always have something that we need prayer for, and we always have something that we can pray for, right? Uh, because we are God's people, and we are never not dependent upon the Lord, and never not uh, confident in the Lord. That, that's, that is the, the guarantee that we have as he has filled us with his spirit to dwell in us forever and has given us his word that we can run to over and over again, uh, not just on the preaching of it on Sunday mornings. Maybe you've read it already this morning as a family, read a, the Christmas story, uh, or, or maybe you'll read it later. Maybe uh, you, you dig into it throughout the, the week. I hope that you do, uh, and we'll pray through it this morning. Uh, but God has given us his faithful word, and he's given us his church, his people, that we might grow together into the fullness of Christ as each one does his or her part. And part of our part is to pray for each other, okay? So I want to encourage you to write down those prayer requests uh, and praises if you have them and know that you will be prayed for. But I also want to encourage you that if, if you write something down on the paper, then also pull someone aside and encourage them to pray with you and for you. Next Sunday... Uh, next year, we get to celebrate together our baptisms, first ones of Redeemer. Now, listen, this isn't, uh, this isn't like a, a mark on Redeemer's, uh, you know, tick board where Redeemer Community Church finally has some baptisms and now we're a real church or, or yeah, look at us, we, we're baptizing people. This is a, a reason, yet one more reason for us to rejoice together that God is building his church here in Minunk. And that we get to rejoice in those lives that he has changed and is changing and celebrate that publicly together through baptism. Uh, so I want to encourage you, uh, watch the early show, watch the ball drop at 11 in New York, and then uh, get some good sleep and come and celebrate with us, okay, next Sunday, 10 a.m. here, baptisms. All right, I want to pray, uh, and then we'll dig in. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Um, but I want to pray from John's Gospel. We, if you know, uh, if you've been with us, uh, we're, we're in this Advent series. That today's the last day of the Advent series. But before that, we've been going through John's Gospel, and the theme of John's Gospel is this right here in uh, in chapter twenty, verses thirty and thirty-one. John John frames his gospel up with seven signs that Jesus performed. Uh, uh, he also lists or, or tells us that Jesus did a lot of other signs. But these seven he lists specifically for a reason, and this is the reason he gives in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these, these seven, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We could take John's words right there about his gospel and we could apply them to all of the Bible. 
That's what this Advent series hopefully has done for us, has helped us see that God has done many signs, many signs, some that are listed specifically, some that are listed generally, but many signs over the course of human history to show us Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, and compel us to believe in him so that by believing in him, we might have life in his name. That's what we celebrate at the birth of our Savior is, is uh, we celebrate new birth in him, that we might have life in this one who came born to die, that we might live. So I want to pray that that would be God's purpose uh, for our time together this morning, and then we'll dig into Matthew chapter 2. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're, we're thankful, Lord, to be able to sing these Christmas songs that speak so profoundly of this rich and glorious truth that God came and put on human flesh and dwelt among us to reveal your glory and draw your people to him that we might be saved and find life in him. I pray this morning that we would see your generosity, your love, your eagerness to show your love by sending us your son and that we would respond uh, if there's unbelievers in this room that they would believe that Jesus Christ is the, the Messiah and the son of God and that by believing they might have life in his name. And, and for those of us that do believe already that you would strengthen our faith, renew our joy, and lead us on in hope that we might see this Messiah once again as we await the second advent, the return of Christ. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, open your Bibles up with me to Matthew chapter 2. If you need a Bible or you're using one of ours uh, from the, the tables and the shelves back here, you can turn to page 855, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at the, the first 12 verses this morning. We're finishing up this Advent series called Signs of the Coming King, in which we've looked at different signs that God's given to his people to point them to the coming Messiah that he promised to send. We began this series uh, uh, about four weeks ago looking at Psalm chapter 2, which didn't include a specific sign per se, but guaranteed the eternal kingship of this Messiah, right? And, and that's, a, that's a really strong truth to start with. That's a great foundation for us then to proceed from, and, and so then from there we went to uh, Isaiah chapter 7 with King Ahaz and, and the prophet Isaiah. And God's, we saw God's desire to be with his people by giving Ahaz a king that Ahaz wouldn't even, uh, a sign that he wouldn't even ask for. God himself would give him a sign, the sign of Emmanuel. Emmanuel uh, being born of the virgin and Emmanuel being God with us. And after that we looked at Isaiah chapter 37 and we saw God's power to crush his enemies and undo their destructive work through the sign that he gave to Hezekiah, another king, Ahaz's son. And then last night, we looked at Luke chapter 2, and we saw, we saw the greatest sign of all, the Messiah himself, as a baby, born and, and, and laid in a manger, wrapped tightly in cloth. And this was a sign that God gave to lowly shepherds in a field to show that he's faithful to keep his promises and bring blessing not just to the people of Israel, but to 
the entire world. And that's because God made a promise back to Abraham, or in, to Abraham way back when that he would do exactly that. The promise goes so far back. And here we have the king. He has arrived. The Messiah has come. God has kept his promise. This morning in Matthew 2, we'll see one more sign that points to Jesus' kingship over all kings and his worthiness to be worshipped. So I want to read this passage and then pray, and then we will dig into it together. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And so he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what the, was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, a.k.a. Judea, no, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." And then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. When they opened their treasures, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they, <coughs> excuse me, they returned to their own country by another route. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have, by your spirit, uh, enabled Matthew to include this story in his gospel. And you've done that so that we might know that Jesus truly is the King of Kings. And we pray this morning that that would be exactly uh, what we leave here, confident in and dependent upon, not just the truth, but in Christ himself, that we would come and worship this King together. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas time comes with a, a sense of anticipation and an eagerness, if you will, right? Some of us are eager to see family that we haven't seen for a while. Some of us are eager to open gifts. Some of us are eager to eat food. Right now, as we speak, there is bread thawing at my house for Stromboli this evening, okay? I would invite you, but there's not enough for you, <laughs> all right? Um, I love you but that Stromboli is for me. Uh, maybe some of you are still waiting to open your presents. Maybe the kids, I'll just I'll talk to you here for a second. Or maybe the parents are like, man, we got to go to church first, you know, and, and I got to eat, I want to open my presents. Or maybe you already opened them and you're like, oh, can't wait to play with these when I get home. There's an eagerness there, right? And you're wondering, man, is this, how long is he going to preach today? We're going to start in Matthew and go, just kidding. Um, some of us, though, the, the, with, with, the, with the holidays that come, also come painful 
memories. And there's an eagerness to move and to push on through these holidays because of lost loved ones or looking back on a year full of hardships. We just want to kind of get through it and move on, right? There's an eagerness there. Whether, whether your eagerness is driven by sorrow or it's driven by excitement, here, here's, here's what we are all capable of. We can be so focused on our own eagerness that we fail in this most wonderful time of the year to see the eagerness of God himself. And here's our point for this morning. Here's what, what God is going to teach us through this text in Matthew chapter 2. Because God was eager to give us the king, we should be eager to give him our praise. Because God was eager to give us the king, we should be eager to give him our praise. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. Now, the Herod being referred to here was Herod the Great. He descended uh, from Esau, if you remember from our, our time in, in Genesis. Uh, but you know this, that God's covenant people, the Jews, they did not come from Esau. They came from Jacob, Esau's brother. Herod was appointed king of the Jews by Roman officials. Remember we talked about Rome was, is the superpower of the day now, right? And they're, they're controlling. And so they appointed Herod this king over the Jews. He was not a descendant of King David. He was not the rightful heir to the throne. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of David, which we saw last night in Luke chapter 2, these wise men saw his star and they began looking for this rightful king. Now, the wise men, they were not kings themselves, contrary to the song, we three kings of Orient are, right? But men, they were most likely men from Babylon who studied ancient sacred texts and they specialized in things like astronomy and dream interpretation and, and magic. They were fascinated with these texts. And they saw this sign appear in the sky. This sign was a star that had risen when the king of the Jews was born. And as scholars of ancient scriptures, they would have been familiar with, uh, among other things, Hebrew prophecy. And then when they saw the star rise, they likely tied it to Balaam's prophecy in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. And if you remember anything about Balaam, uh, he was hired by a wicked king to actually go pronounce a curse over Israel. But God interrupted that and made him bless Israel instead. And part of the blessing was this, Numbers 24, 17, Balaam said, I see him, but not now. I perceive him, but not near. A star will come from Jacob, and a scepter will arise from Israel. These wise men probably were also familiar with Jacob's prophetic blessing over Judah in Genesis 49:10. We ought to be familiar with this too when we went through this in Genesis. J uh, Jacob said about Judah, the scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it is comes and the obedience of the peoples belongs to him. Suddenly here are these peoples, these wise men from afar, coming to give their obedience to this star of Jacob, this scepter 
this king. These wise men saw the star, and they believed that these prophecies were being fulfilled. The king of the Jews had come at last to his people, and these wise men had come to worship him. They were men on a mission. It was important to them. You might say that they were eager. Many of the Christmas songs that we sing assume that there were three wise men. We sang that in the first Noel this morning. But the text actually doesn't give us a number here. The assumption that there were three most likely comes from the number of gifts they brought, gold, frankincense, myrrh, right? We'll get to that in a minute. But it's more likely that this was not just a few men who came to Jerusalem sort of under the radar looking for a child, but rather a larger convoy of wise men with their servants and their guards who would manage and protect all of these treasures, all of these gifts that they were bringing to this newborn king. And we can give conjecture about whether they should be in the nativity set or how how long it has been since then. But here's something we know. It wasn't the same night that the shepherds were there. Okay? And here's why. They saw the star, and if they were coming from Babylon, at the minimum, they would have traveled most likely 40 days to get to Jerusalem. And they were there to find this one who had been born the king of the Jews. Surely they didn't understand the fullness of his kingship, but they, the one thing was abundantly clear here. These men were determined to worship this king. They were eager. Look at verses three through six. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And so he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, Herod was the purported king of the Jews, right? But he knew less than these Gentile wise men did about the Jewish prophecies. What he did know was that if this child that they were looking for really was the legitimate heir to the Jewish throne, then this child posed a serious threat to Herod and his own rule on that throne. And Herod was deeply disturbed by the thought that that throne might not be his forever. One helpful Bible translation says that Herod was alarmed. This instilled fear and panic in Herod and in the rest of the corrupt leaders, the, the, the chief priests, the, the political leaders of Israel in, in Jerusalem. The chief priests were in charge of the worship and, and everything else that went on a, at the temple. And the scribes were experts on the Hebrew scriptures, a.k.a. our Old Testament. If anyone would know more information about the arrival of this king of the Jews, a.k.a. the Messiah, it would be these, these men. And so Herod asked them for help, and they quoted the prophet Micah. They went to the scriptures, and they said, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Micah says so. These wise men from the east had come to Jerusalem looking for this Messiah, but they didn't know exactly where to find him. The star led them there, but they arrived in Jerusalem, and now that Herod knew the answer, he thought he would be helpful and tell them where, where to go and look. Look at verse 7 and 8. 
Then Herod, Herod secretly summoned these wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Now, do you think that Herod was really eager to worship the child like these wise men were? If worship was really his motive, then he wouldn't have been deeply disturbed at the news, right? Herod wasn't seeking to worship the child whose existence threatened his kingship. Herod was seeking the child so that he could make that child cease to exist. If you read the rest of, of, of Matthew chapter 2, if you read all of that, the reason why Herod wanted to know the exact time that the star appeared was so that he could narrow his own search down for this child and kill him. And you'll see, if you look at the rest of Matthew chapter 2, that an angel of the Lord warned Mary and Joseph about Herod's plan, and they fled to Egypt before Herod gave orders to massacre all the male children in and around Jerusalem or, or Bethlehem uh, that were two years old and older and younger. Excuse me. Think about that. Two years old and younger, mass execution of these young babies. Herod raged against God and his anointed one. Do you remember that from Psalm 2? But God had installed his king on his holy mountain, and no one could dethrone him. This is why we started with Psalm 2, so that we see over and over and over as the nations rage that God is not afraid. The rage of men does not put fear in the heart of God. God has given us his king. And this king reigns forever. But before Herod flew into this murderous rage, the wise men headed to Bethlehem to worship the child. Look at verses 9 through 12. After hearing the king, Herod, that is, they went on their way, and there it was, the star that they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. <coughs> Excuse me. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Herod may have thought that he was the one who pointed these wise men in the right direction, but verse 9 reminds us that God himself was continuing to lead them. As they went on their way from Jerusalem, they looked up, and what did they see? There it was, Matthew says, the sign, the sign that God had so graciously and eagerly given them to bring them that far appeared again, and God himself was leading them to the place that they needed to go. The movement of this star was specific and deliberate. Matthew does, doesn't elaborate on it too much, but he gives us enough detail so that we know that these men, even though they were astrologers, they weren't simply looking up into the night sky and navigating by these stars that were up in the sky. They were being led by the one who holds the stars in place, as the Psalms tell us, and then moves them when it suits his own good purposes. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. And when the star stopped moving, it hung over the place where the child was, and look at the reaction of these wise men in verses 10 and 11. They weren't deeply disturbed 
at all. They were elated. They weren't overwhelmed with fear, with panic. They were overwhelmed with joy. They were, they were, uh, they, they fell to their knees and they worshiped this child. They presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They were eager to worship this true king that they had been led to. And who, who was this true king? Who was this child? What child is this? The song we sang this morning, right? Who was this child that these wise men had come to worship? We know this. He's Jesus Christ. As John tells us in his gospel, the Messiah, the Son of God. And he's worthy to be worshipped, not just by the wise men, not just by the Jews, but by all people because he was born to die so that we might live. His parents fled to Egypt with him when he was a child in order to escape Herod's murderous rage, but Jesus would return to Jerusalem, and then as a man, he would endure the persecution of his own people, the corrupt chief priests and scribes, the Jews, who should have seen him and said, this is the guy, but missed it in the scriptures. Remember John 5? We ended on that before we started the Advent series, and Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have life but you fail to see that they point to me. These leaders were not eager to worship Jesus. They were threatened by him, and they were deeply disturbed by him. They were eager to kill him, and they conspired to do exactly that. Jesus was betrayed by one of his own disciples. He was arrested. He was tried by these corrupt Jewish leaders and then sent to a Roman governor whom they coerced into crucifying Jesus on a cross. And as Jesus hung on a cross, there was another sign. This time it was an actual one that hung over him. And you know what it said? The king of the Jews. Here he is, the king of the Jews. Yes, it was there to mock him, but it was proclaiming the truth among people who had no idea That sign was true. Jesus was the king of the Jews. He is the true king of all kings. He is, and he proved that by, by giving up his own life on the cross. He gave up his spirit and he died. And he did that to save sinners who were deserving, not of life, not of joy, not of peace, but of God's righteous wrath as punishment for our sin. And by he did it by raising from the grave on the third day, never to die again. I love how scripture words that. So that he could give eternal life to all who eagerly come to him in worship. All who eagerly put their trust in this king. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. He wasn't the one who betrayed Jesus. He was, he was a Jew. Last night we, we heard from Luke, who was a Gentile, who wrote to Gentiles. Matthew was a Jew who wrote to, to Jews primarily in his gospel. And he, and he did this in order to show them, just like John wrote, that Jesus was the Messiah. And Matthew points them back to the scriptures that they should know to show them this, that Jesus is the fulfillment of these things. He's the Messiah that their scriptures prophesied about, the true king of the Jews. And Matthew did this not to incite fear or panic, but to incite joy and hope at the arrival of this king. 
Now listen, we have studied these scriptures. This is what we do on Sunday mornings. This is what we do when we gather together in the women's group and Lord willing in, in more groups that we get together, uh, uh, men's groups or, or community groups. This is what they do in Redeemer Kids. We study the scriptures and we see how they point us straight to Jesus. And over these past four weeks, we've, we've particularly looked at these different signs that God has provided for his people over and over and over again. And we didn't cover anywhere close to, to half of them. We have seen God's eagerness to give his people a king. Not just a king, but the king. We've also been studying John's gospel together. And John's gospel captures God's eagerness so well in a verse that is so well known to many but understood truly by few. You know it. John 3.16. God loved the world in this way. We might say he was eager. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish. You know what that means? You don't have to be deeply disturbed. You don't have to, to fret or panic or be alarmed that Christ is king. That should put fear into us initially because we realize that we are sinners condemned by a holy God. But God did not send his son to condemn us. He sent his son to save us. You see we could take this away from this passage as well. Wise men, wise men are eager to worship the one and only son who is the true king. Foolish men are eager to dethrone him. Wise men are eager to worship the one and only son who is the true king. Foolish men are eager to dethrone him. Are you threatened by Jesus or are you enthralled by him? Do you believe that he is king or do you live like you are? If you don't believe in him, then why not consider this morning God's eagerness to reveal Christ to you? Surely this isn't the first time you've come and celebrated Christmas at church. Don't let this be yet another time where you miss the whole point. Look at God's eagerness to reveal the king to you. Why not experience God's great love for you? To see, not just that the Lord, that God loved the world in this way, but to be able to proclaim, God loved me in this way. He gave his one and only son so that I might live and not perish. Why not look to Jesus in faith and find forgiveness and eternal life in him? You just confess that I, I'm not the king. Christ is the king turn from my sin. I, I, I repent and I trust in him. Why not do that this morning? As believers who have done that, who live under the kingship of Christ, may we share in this enthusiasm of these wise men and never grow tired of it. As those who have now, not just the Old Testament scriptures, but the New Testament scriptures that give us the full picture of who Christ is and all that he's done, and then teach us how to live in accordance to that. 
may we be all the more eager to worship our King. We have the privilege of being able to do that together here this morning. Through prayer, through singing, through the preaching of the word, we'll worship our King by taking the Lord's Supper together here in a moment. But let's not do these things and then be eager to push them aside and move on to the other Christmas festivities. Let's be eager to continue to worship our King in the rest of the Christmas festivities, in the rest of the family get-togethers, in the rest of the meals, something besides stromboli for you. In everything else, I realize the irony of me preaching worshiping Jesus but hoarding stromboli and selfishness. And I need to ask you for forgiveness. But here's the thing, right? We all get excited. We all get eager for Christmas. It comes and then it goes. And then we move on. And we go back to our daily routines, the, the humdrum of everyday life. And it's hard in this brutal winter to get excited about anything, right? What joy could we have if we continue in the eagerness to worship our King in the everyday things of life as we're told to in the New Testament scriptures. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord and not for men. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That is worship to this King. So let's continue to eagerly worship him in all things. Why? Because he's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. He is the king that God has installed. He is the king, not just of the Jews, but of the universe. He is the king of all kings. You see, God was eager to give us a king. So we should be eager to give him our praise. Oh, come, let us adore him. Who? Christ the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we praise you for giving us the king. We thank you that we don't have to, to, to travel and search him out because you have come to us. You dwell in us now as believers through your spirit, spirit who is united to you, the Father and the Son, in love and unites us to you. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember that and that you would draw our hearts to greater and greater praise of the King who rules our life for our good and his glory. Father, may we worship you as we take communion together as we leave here and go and be with family and open gifts and mourn the loss of loved ones and look back over the year and see the struggles and the hardships and, and look forward to what's to come, may we worship you because you're worthy of it. We pray these in the name of our King Jesus. Amen.